Good day, everyone. It's my pleasure today to welcome Phil Shaw, our Chief Economist, to this, the Easter edition of our podcast series. We thought we'd get this edition out to you before the Easter eggs are out and you will head off on that much-needed Easter break. It's certainly been a difficult time to get to grips with all of the market movements, given the macro backdrop and with so much to get through. I think it's probably best we cut straight to the chase to get Phil's thoughts on the market. Phil, it's been around a month and a half now since Russia invaded Ukraine. The human suffering has been dreadful and our thoughts are naturally with all those affected. But in terms of the wider picture, can you give us a few pointers as to how things might develop? Yeah. Hi, Kieran. Um, Hello, everybody. Um, Yeah, absolutely. I think if we dial back to um, the end of February, I think, you know, despite the continuous huge buildup of troops on the Ukraine border, uh, Russia's invasion came as a shock to to many people. And it's been similarly difficult to work out exactly what Russian President Putin's precise objectives are. And now it's largely felt that if his troops were successful in in capturing large tracts of the Ukraine, which to to be fair, they don't seem to be able to. Russia looks unlikely to be able to hold that territory. So on the back of that, really, there seems to be an implied assumption that the end game will be some sort of compromise. Um, Certainly, um, the Ukraine will not be becoming a member of NATO as was originally intending to. Um, you know, perhaps it has to concede some autonomy of parts of and perhaps all of the Donetsk and Lukansk provinces. I'm not sure exactly how that's going to unfold. The timing of this certainly is very uncertain. Russia would have to accept some sort of Ukrainian EU membership. And you know, questions are, could Ukraine recognise Russian control of Crimea? That doesn't look likely at the moment, um, but anything um, could happen. I guess there's a lot of uncertainty. Uh, Putin recently poured cold water on on hopes of an agreement. Um, so if we do get substantial progress in the negotiations, we, we wouldn't expect that soon. So um, can hostilities on the scale be maintained indefinitely? Well, certainly hope not. And I think, you know, I guess of ours is that if a deal happens, then one of the prices which the West will have to pay is the lifting of some sanctions, not all perhaps, but some on Russia. And, you know, I certainly agree with people that saying nothing is clear right now. And what about monetary policy? Um, Has the situation in Ukraine had an impact on monetary policy and particularly in the major economies? Yes, it has. And I think if, if we look at the situation before the invasion, the Western economy's normalisation plans of monetary policy had been kicking in. And so in various economies, um, rates had gone up and there were at least plans to shrink QE, to shrink the balance sheets um, of the central banks, i.e. reverse some of the QE that um, had been put out there. In the Eurozone, those objectives are somewhat lagged, but it's the same sort of process. So those were the plans before the invasion. In many senses, that was good because it meant that the COVID crisis was coming to an end and we could uh, get away from those emergency policy settings. Also, central banks were dealing with already higher inflation thanks to a rapid burst of demand and the various supply chain problems. Now, with respect to the effect of the Russian invasion of Ukraine, most obvious and direct effect is on commodity prices. That's particularly clear in the oil and gas sectors. And in economic terms, that worsens the trade-off in most areas, um, i.e. slower growth, higher inflation, and the policy dilemma of 
monetary policy is, well, does it become more direct? Does it become more aggressive towards trying to curb inflation pressures, especially in the short term? Or does one take the view that the slowdowns in those economies will result in inflation falling over the medium to longer term? That They're not easy questions to answer. And perhaps in some jurisdictions, that's easier. In the US, where arguably America is a little bit more detached from these effects, it's easier to justify more aggressive monetary policy, particularly as you you could argue that the US was behind the curve in tightening policy for several reasons. In the UK, we've already had momentum towards tightening. As as we know, we've had three successive hikes in the last monetary policy meetings. And actually, the UK has been more aggressive than, than any country in the G10 on tightening policy, Uh, you know, perhaps in the short term, Canada will change that picture a little bit. But, you know, you get the picture. In the UK, we've just had a 54% jump in the energy price cap, and that will have a a big effect on household budgets in aggregate. And it will slow down demand because once households have paid more money for the essentials, they have less to pay for discretionary items. And it's really hard to calibrate how much that slows inflation down over the medium term. And it's also possible that commodity prices over the next year or so fall sharply. So there's a lot of uncertainty about where inflation is heading. In the Eurozone, it's trickier still. The recovery is more fragile. There are closer trade links with Russia. Germany, of course, is very dependent on Russian gas. So what should the European Central Bank do? Should it accelerate normalization plans? Um, remember that the ECB is still conducting QE, um, or should it stop QE quickly and start hiking in the third quarter of the year? Now, the account or the minutes of the March meeting published recently showed a big dilemma. And in fact, governing council members were debating whether the Ukraine situation was inflationary or disinflationary. So even the European Central Bank is trying to debate this subject. Great, Phil. I mean, I'm I'm very curious to get your views on how the market or the interest rate markets have judged the situation. I mean, you did mention America on a, on a kind of steeper path. There are currently now 50 basis points worth of hikes priced in for each of the two next Fed meetings, roughly. And in the UK, um, it's, it's 25 basis points uh, for each of the next two meetings. Are the markets expecting too much tightening? Yes, we are of the view that markets are panicking a little bit and it's a bit for those of you that are my vintage perhaps you you will remember the the big interest rate market panic of 1994 there does seem to be some analogy here it's possible that the fed hikes the fed funds target by 50 basis points at its may meeting we've just had a a reasonable print on the cpi for march but you know if you take the next eight, nine months in aggregate, then uh, do we think that we're going to get to a Fed funds target range of two and a half to 2.75% by the end of the year? That looks too steep, particularly as the Fed aims to shrink its balance sheet by perhaps $95 billion per month, which could, according to Fed estimates, be the equivalent of one or two 25 basis point rate hikes. In the UK and the Eurozone, similar views. I think in, in terms of the UK, we actually think that the Bank of England will not raise rates in May. And we think there will to be two 25 basis point or quarter of a point hikes by the end of the year, not another six, which is effectively what markets are pricing in now. And in terms of the zone, then, you know, we, we don't think that the ECB will, will actually get a majority on the governing council for raising rates much before the end of the year. Now, we, we do have an ECB meeting on Thursday, the 14th of, of April. But um, although that will be interesting, 
it looks as though the June meeting will be a lot more critical in steering the, the path of monetary policy. And before we turn our attention to, to FX markets, which is my area, are there any other read-throughs for the global economy from the situation in Ukraine? Yes, absolutely. The, the sanctions on Russia will bite. Um, someone asked me not long ago, when was the last time that I bought a, a good or a service from, from Russia? And clearly not many people do that very often. But of course, commodities are inputs from Russia that go into goods available in, in the UK and elsewhere in Europe. So, for example, palladium from Russia is a major component in catalytic converters in cars and potash, another big Russian export, goes into agricultural fertilizer. So I think when you sort of dig down and, and look at those inputs and those trade links, it shows you the degree to which the world is globalized. And I think it's a good reminder that, that the world economy is perhaps not as seamless on trade links as um, it was in the past. So turning our attention then to foreign exchange markets for a second, we often talk about risk off, risk on trading and the movement to safe haven currencies in a risk off environment. However, there is the added conundrum now of having high inflationary environment to deal with and rising interest rates. I mean, we saw US CPI inflation year on year reading reaching a staggering 8.5%. What does this actually mean for currencies? Are there many FX market implications? Yes, there are really in the sense that you've got a big rise in terms of US interest rate expectations and more so than in other jurisdictions. And that interest rate support is helping the US dollar. Now, it's quite an about turn because two or three years ago, some people were talking about the dollar losing its international reserve status. And clearly that hasn't happened. But if interest rates are a key driver and if markets are perhaps pricing in too much tightening and a repricing to something which we would see to be more realistic occurs, then the natural implication is that you would expect the dollar to give up some or, or all of its recent gains. And, and that certainly is our central view. We don't expect sterling, for example, to end up on the other side of the 130 side against the US dollar over the medium term. We do, do feel that um, the sterling will have get a leg up perhaps at some point during the second half of the year. We can't talk about FX markets in this environment without talking about commodities. Um, what are the implications for energy supply in major economies? Does Ukraine and everything that's going on halt the trend away from hydrocarbons? doesn't really. There's clearly a big energy gap at the moment because of the situation with Russia and that's even without any bans on Russian gas. So clearly that uh, energy supply is, is being dealt with in two stages. Number one, plug the gap with almost anything that you can as quickly as possible. And, and Western governments have been even courting Venezuelan President Maduro to try and get some Venezuelan oil flowing again. But longer term, it's really given an, an extra boost to try to decarbonize Western economies. Uh, for example, in the UK, we had the energy security paper not long ago, which envisages a big expansion of offshore wind farms and also nuclear power. But certainly the short term is let's try and manage the transition by just plugging that gap however we can. Before we close, shall we just quickly have a quick look forward and, and talk about what's going on at the moment? So are there any takeaways from the first round of the French presidential elections? And I'd also love to get your uh, thoughts on the local elections in the UK on the 5th of May. Are there is anything more important that we should be keeping an eye on with regards to those elections? 
Yes, certainly. I think the first comment on the French elections is that the polls were pretty good. And actually, Emmanuel Macron ended up with a bigger lead after the first round than he did five years ago. But that can be misleading. What's more important is the various dynamics which will result in the likely showings in the second round. The surprising thing, if anything, was how well the, the far left um, Mélenchon did in the first round. And a critical factor is the extent to which his anti-establishment voters do actually uh, vote for Macron and how the, the Macron-Le Pen split comes, bears out. And if, if it turns out that Le Pen gains in the polls between now and the second round, then expect further downward pressure on the euro. With respect to the UK, um, the 5th of May local elections were going to be a verdict on Partygate, really. And although it looks as though the prime minister is going to be served with a fixed penalty notice for breaking the rules, it more important things have happened with obviously the situation in Ukraine. Um, his obvious successor, Rishi Sunak, um, seems to have lost a little bit of his shine um, and also receiving a, a fixed penalty notice as well. So those elections might not be the seismic political event in certainly the majority of the UK that they were going to be. We would say, though, that don't forget the Northern Ireland Assembly elections are also taking place on the same day. If you look at the polls, Sinn Féin are in the lead and it could well be that the First Minister of Northern Ireland comes from Sinn Féin. But perhaps the implications of that are for a discussion another time. Well, everyone, um, we've covered a lot there. I think that this is probably a good time to wrap this up. Thank you very much for your time today, Phil. It's always a pleasure to get your views on the market and I'm sure our listeners have enjoyed hearing your thoughts as much as I have. Have a happy Easter, everyone. Um, enjoy those Easter eggs and hot cross buns, guilt-free, and we'll catch you on the next one.